Alhamdulillah. So, Jazakallah Khairan for coming on this show. Um, inshallah, it's the first guest I've had. So, uh, thank you for that. I know you're very busy um, in Abu Dhabi and you're actually, you know, doing night shifts. So, all the more reason, you know, thank you again for that. Um, so, just to introduce everyone, uh, this is Dr. Ali Wahala, is a, a friend of mine who's been uh, in Abu Dhabi for how many years now? Uh, for almost six years now. Six years, okay, mashallah. And uh, in some ways, you're the perfect candidate, candidate to talk to about COVID because you come from a chest physician background with intervention and also um, intensive care. And those are the two real areas which have been affected by COVID. Could I ask you to just give me a bit of background about yourself, about your training and where you've worked and so on and so forth? Sure, sure. Uh, well, thank you for having me uh, on, Adnan, first of all. Um, my name is, as you said, Ali Wala. I, I trained in, in Pakistan originally, medical school over there. Then I went to the U.S. and did my medicine training and then uh, pulmonary and critical care training. So in, in the U.S., the fellowships are combined. So you, do, you can do two trainings in respiratory, respiratory medicine and critical care. Uh, so I ended up, ended up dividing my time between uh, pulmonary duties and ICU intensive care duties. Okay, okay. And uh, the thing I want to ask then, um, so obviously COVID is very topical uh, as, as it is anyway, but especially now that we see that there's a, a second wave coming around the world. But I just want to go right back to the beginning. Um, so, you know, how did this whole thing start in China? What really happened right at the beginning? Well, uh, what we do know is that it started in, in Wuhan province in China. Um, the, the virus itself, uh, the coronavirus, is uh, one of the viruses that originated, originated from, uh, from zoonotic species, from animals, basically. Uh, we've had viruses like this in the past that have transmitted to humans that were originally in animals, such as uh, Middle East coronavirus or MERS-CoV, uh, which was seen here in the Middle East. And then SARS, which was also in mostly initially in, in China. Uh, this virus, um, we, we know that a similar virus is found in bats. Um, however, um, it's unclear how it, it went from being predominantly in bats to in humans. What we do know now is because of this, we do have human to human transmission. Now, uh, there are some theories that there may have been intermediaries between the bats and humans. Uh, and there are also some scientists who say that it was actually a direct transmission. However, the bat which houses the coronavirus, the horseshoe bat, is not indigenous to, to that area of China. Mm. So it, it's not quite clear, uh, but we do know that as um, humans continue to erode and destroy um, our natural um, ecosystem, that uh, such things is, are happening more frequently. So it's a result of uh, spilling over for wildlife into um, our, our world, uh, that these uh, mutations are more frequent. Um, but once the mutation happened, uh, this virus actually um, started to spread between human beings. And that was the primary means of transfer. So it was a human to human transfer. Okay, okay. And then, uh, then obviously we know what happened that there, were, there was obviously a huge outbreak in China and then they, they really instituted very draconian measures to, to try and contain that and were quite successful in some ways. 
but what I wanted to ask is when did you notice a change in, in your work and when did you actually start seeing patients, you know, come through your door as it were? So, I mean, the first cases in China were really being reported in end of November and December. Uh, we here in, in, in UAE didn't start seeing, uh, start seeing these patients until probably around February uh, is when we started to have an increase in the number of cases. And then come March, uh, the number started increasing exponentially. Uh, so for us, March, then April, May, June were the peak months. And then from July onwards, they started to gradually come down. July and, and in August, obviously, they were they were much less. Okay, and and was it quite a quite a big influ influx of patients? Because I mean, there's still um, amazingly people saying that this is just a hoax or this is this is all being blown out of proportion. But did you see quite an influx of patients and a, a large increase in intensive care patients and so on with this? Yeah, I mean, so the 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 thing about this virus is that the majority of patients overnight or 95% will not have severe symptoms. Okay. So you may, you may know many people who have tested positive for COVID and then recovered without needing uh, hospital admission or, or any, any sort of treatment. Uh, and perhaps that's what adds to a little bit of the confusion um, amongst the general public, uh, the view that COVID is a benign disease because of the fact that most people get well. Uh, but it's a very infectious disease, so it, it's, it's been spreading fairly rapidly. As a result of, the, of, of this, that 5% or 3% uh, it is, ends up being a lot of people. So not only did hospitals here, but hospitals all over the world, uh, in, in, in Europe and in the US, did become overwhelmed with, with uh, a lot of very sick patients or ICUs here in our hospital uh, was almost completely full. We had to open up new ICUs uh, in order to accommodate for the patients. And then field hospitals had to be opened up for patients who couldn't be accommodated in regular hospitals. Yeah, I mean, we saw the same thing in Jeddah. You know, we, our ICU filled up as well. We had to open up extra, uh, you know, a couple of extra wards. And I've heard, I mean, you must have heard from colleagues around the world, but I've spoken to people in England as well. Uh, again, the same, same, exactly the same picture. So yeah, yeah. Um, so you mentioned that most, you know, most patients have a relatively mild illness, and and what kind of symptoms do they get? Is it just a just a cough and fever, and then it subsides, and then what well, happens to the? Yeah, sorry. Sure. Sorry. Go ahead. And then, then secondly, you know, what happens to the patients who have a more severe reaction to the virus? Yeah, so, so most of the patients, as you know, have symptoms um, such as cough, fevers. Some of them will also have GI symptoms, such as diarrhea. Mm. Um, th those who have a, a cough uh, and, and fever, they may also have a drop in the oxygen level. Right? Yep. Uh, and that subgroup of patients ends up um, getting worse and you, when they come to the hospital, their x-ray will show changes of COVID, which you have likely seen thousands of times now yeah. uh, as a radiologist. Uh, and then they end up being admitted and then um, uh, if they need, they might, might need oxygen. Uh, and and those, that small group of patients then subsequently uh, get fairly ill, and the predominant illness is a respiratory illness, 
It's usually the respiratory failure which leads them into the ICU. Okay. And then what treatments can you do? Because obviously ICU, maybe just to explain to the general listener that the ICU, you're able to support, you know, various organ systems. So you can give respiratory support to support the breathing. You can support the kidneys. Uh, you can support the circulatory system, the blood pressure and the working of the heart. So would you have to use all these types of tools to, to help these patients? Or would it just mainly be the respiratory side, the breathing side that you'd have to support? Or? So um, it's, it's predominantly the respiratory side, but as patients get sick, uh, they might go into multi-organ failure. Yeah. So more than if one organ fails and other organs may fail. So uh, they also can get co-infected or super infected by other organisms like bacteria in their lungs. Mm -hmm. uh, so multiple infections while they're in the ICU. Uh, but it, it usually starts with the, with the respiratory system the, with the lungs. Um, and usually uh, these patients uh, will be will require some support. They will uh, require something called high flow oxygen through nasal cannula, high flow uh, oxygen. They might require non-invasive ventilation and ultimately might need intubation. Tube placed through uh, their mouth into their lungs or into their throat um, and placed on a ventilator, which is a artificial machine that works like a lung, essentially pumps air in and then allows it to come out. So it, it helps aid the lung in its function. Okay, okay. And, and have you had to deal with uh, many kind of patients who are, who are so sick that they were very difficult to, to, to help them improve? Uh, and have you had many patients, you know, who, who've not made it, maybe even younger patients? Have you, have you had that kind of situation? Yes, we had a, a, a lot of patients who were very sick uh, who uh, developed what we call ARDS, acute respiratory distress syndrome. So they were really unable to oxygenate themselves. Uh, to, so the purpose of the lungs is to bring oxygen into our bodies and to take carbon dioxide out. Uh, and when their lungs became so sick, uh, some of them ended up going on something called ECMO, which is extracorporeal membrane oxygenation. It's basically another machine mm. which starts taking blood out of the body and then doing the function of the lung, which is VV ECMO, venovenous ECMO, and then putting the, the blood back. So it, it takes blood out, gets rid of carbon dioxide, adds oxygen, then puts the blood back into the patient's system. Uh, this is a very, very small group of people, so sick that their lungs just stop working despite being on 100% oxygen through the ventilator and, and, and very high ventilator settings. Okay. And so, so even young patients, have, have, you, have you had to deal? Because I think sometimes people perceive that this is only old patients get it and, you know, maybe, well, you know, it's... it's it's shocking that people say that, but they say, well, these people are old, they're going to die anyway, which, is, which I think is not, not a very nice thing to say. But, but, um, but even younger patients, I think, have been affected by this. Is that right? And even potentially died? Yes. So, so our uh, perspective here in, in the Middle East is, is a little bit skewed because we have a much younger population in general. Yeah. So we actually saw more as a percentage younger patients coming into our ICUs than in Europe and the U.S., where they have a much larger uh, geriatric population, older population. But you're absolutely right. There were a lot of young patients who got sick, people in their 
30s uh, and even even 20s coming to ICU uh, requiring uh, intensive care. Mm-hmm. And have you have you ever had to have you know difficult discussions with with families as well and and you know dealing with these cases and and obviously it must be quite you know stressful as well to deal with that side of things is that right yes yes so i i think we ended up having discussions with with all family members um and it becomes very difficult obviously um patients who uh, are unable to have any hope of survival and, and have multiple cardiac arrests uh, might not survive. And, and then you have to speak with the family members about what the patient's wishes would have been. Mm. Um, some patients still would like everything done and then we respect those wishes and, and mm. continue treatment. But in spite of everything we do, some patients uh, do pass away and, and they have been passing away all over the world. Okay, okay. Um, the other thing I want to ask is that obviously this has been quite a steep learning curve, I guess, for you because it's a completely new infection and a new virus. So have you learned and adapted and, and are you using new treatments now that you weren't using initially? So I guess one of the one of the things we've learned is not to use a number of treatments that initially thought might be helpful. But as the research came along, it proved not to be uh, useful. Um, because this was a pandemic that just swept through the world, uh, researchers really couldn't do proper uh, blinded trials to figure out what's the best treatment and, and compare it to placebo, which is you know not giving a treatment. So initially, there were a lot of medications like hydroxychloroquine that were in the news a lot, uh, and people thought they were miracle, miracle cures. Uh, and we found out that they, they actually do not help, uh, and they were not as helpful as, as we initially thought. Um, the certain things that have proven to be helpful, I've probably mentioned two. Uh, well, one is a steroid, so there are now uh, there's a significant amount of evidence that patients who are sick enough that they require oxygen, giving them steroids for up to 10 days uh, or perhaps even longer um, may actually uh, have significant benefit. And steroids act by just decreasing the overall inflammation in the whole body. Um, Another medication is a medicine that was originally developed for HIV, which is also a virus, um, and that's called remdesivir. And that's been shown also now with a lot of evidence uh, to reduce the uh, time for hospitalization for these patients uh, and, and, and allow them to recover quicker than they would have without the, without the antiviral. Okay, okay. Um, another question then is, that, do, you know, do you know why is it that, because it, it seems people react quite differently. Some people can get very sick, even young patients, and other people are quite unaffected. So is any any sort of any way you can predict who's going to react badly or, or you can't really predict that? Well, we, we, there are a number of things that we can, can say that put somebody at a higher risk. So elderly patients, people who are diabetics, people who either have other immunosuppressive diseases or are on immunosuppressives, those patients are at higher risk. Uh, so those patients need to be followed more closely. Having said that, like we just discussed, we, we still saw patients who were otherwise healthy, you know, 25-year-olds who ended up very sick in our, in our ICU. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think 
people who are young and healthy should be complacent. They need to realize that yes, they are probably at a lower risk, but they, they, everybody does have uh, some level of risk and it's difficult to predict at an individual level uh, who will get sick uh, and who will, who will not get sick. Mm. Is there some truth to the idea that it might be the exposure, the, the amount of virus you get exposed to affects how seriously ill you get, or, or is that not, not proven? I'm not aware of any ev evidence that has shown that for sure. Um, I, I mean, it, it does make sense that if you are exposed continuously, then you're more likely to get the infection. Mm. But once two patients have gotten the infection, uh, whether there's a difference depending upon the amount of exposure pre-infection, I, I, I do not know. Okay, okay. Um, obviously, we, we know that you, you guys in intensive care have a, a big task and potentially facing another second wave. But what would you advise us, you know, generally in the community? How can we help with regards to the pandemic and how can we help you guys so that you're not overburdened with, with cases? I think uh, it, it's pretty clear now that this is a disease that spreads by human to human contacts through aerosol by, 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 by being close to people who have the illness. Um, and, and we know that you know use of masks and social distancing uh, and sanitizing, all of those things are effective in preventing its spread. And they, this is the message being given by the WHO, by the CDC, by different organizations all over the world. So I think if we try as much as possible to adhere to these um, social distancing guidelines uh, and, and uh, try to prevent the outbreak uh, as much as we can, that's really what would help. Beyond that, um, I don't think there's any role of you know, prophylactic vitamins or zinc or anything like that because uh, I know that's something which has been popular amongst um, people through social media and other things, but it hasn't really been shown to be effective. Okay, okay. And, and the other thing is that, uh, you know, again, a problem with social media, I think, but all sorts of strange uh, conspiracy theories or, or theories that, that the virus is fake or a hoax or, you know, death certificates have been forged, uh, viruses don't cause disease, it's 5G. I mean, there's a whole long list. I mean, what would you say to, to that kind of thing, you know? Well, I think, uh, as you and I know, we've seen so many of these cases uh, here and our colleagues reported them all over the world um, that this is clearly not a hoax. Uh, this is a, uh, is a pandemic. Uh, and we've had many pandemics in the past. We had you know, the Spanish flu in, in the early 1900s. Uh, so there have been other cases like this. This is not the first time that we've had a pandemic. Um, and, and clearly, we, we know that it spreads. We know we've identified the virus that causes, causes it. Uh, and, and we know a lot about this virus now. Um, so to call it a hoax, I, I think nobody who is a, a serious researcher or a clinician would, would probably say that. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Okay. And what are your thoughts now? As I said at the beginning, I said that, you know, it looks like there's a second wave. We're already seeing that in the UK and in Europe. I think some people are saying in America, there's even a third wave that it's peaked twice and now it's coming up again. So what are your thoughts now as potentially we're heading into this around the world? 
So I think that, like you said, there is a second wave that's come or is coming uh, in different parts of the world. Uh, in Europe, uh, at least for now, the, the, the positive thing is that um, even though the hospitals are filling up right now, the mortality rate is not the same as it was in the first wave. Uh, this could be just because there's a, a, a greater delay this time. Um, we're better at, at dealing with these patients, so they're surviving for a longer period of time. Uh, or it could be, uh, as, as some people have suggested, is that the virus is mutating, because a good virus is one that does not kill its host. Yeah. Um, so if a virus mutates such that so that it's less deadly, it's actually beneficial to the virus because its host will survive. Um, so it's possible um, that this virus is mutating and current mutation is, is, is one, current variant is one that's less deadly than the first one. However, again, we, 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 it, probably time will tell, but at least so far, the one positive thing of this second wave is the much lower mortality than initially. The other possibility is that, well, initially a lot of people that were coming in were the elderly. Now there are younger people coming in and that might be why you have a lower mortality rate. Uh, we'll have to see, really, uh, we'll have to see what, what the exact reason for this lower mortality rate. Okay. Okay, and then the last question I want to ask is, uh, uh, do you think we'll have to really wait for a, for a good vaccine to come out for this to settle down? Or, or do you think the virus will just burn through the population and then burn itself out? Or you can't uh, tell, I, I guess? <laughs> I, probably both. Uh, so the, uh, you, you will eventually, hopefully, have um, more and more people who will develop some level of immunity to this virus. Uh, whether vaccination will cause durable immunity, which means that if you give the vaccine once, like say the flu vaccine, you don't have to give it for a year. Uh, we don't know yet. It, it might be right now, there are trials in which they're giving booster doses. So what will be the ideal vaccine? How frequently you should be getting that vaccine? Uh, that's still not yet clear. Uh, there are many vaccine trials um, ongoing. Uh, and the vaccine in, in some countries like Russia and China is being given on a regular basis as well. Uh, but uh, at this point, we still don't know um, enough about which is the best vaccine, uh, as well as how effective these vaccines will be. Okay, okay. Okay, that's great. I mean, that's been really useful, really interesting conversation. Are there any other points you'd like to make or, or other than being safe and so on? No, that's just it. Be, be safe uh, and, and, and wear a mask when you go out and uh, don't go out unnecessarily. Uh, and hopefully, inshallah, we'll all uh, get through this. Inshallah, inshallah. Well, hope you keep safe too and uh, all the best. Thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate that. Thank you, Adnan. Thank you. Assalamu alaikum.